0: Welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. I tend to review art house and world cinema. Today's episode is going to be about the 1974 French film, The Mouth Agape, directed by Maurice Piala. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, I'm a writer, I'm a dreamer i love literature art and poetry in the last few years since about 2011 i've developed a very intense passion for cinema and for films my life has sort of been taken over by movies at this point i created this podcast because i wanted to share all that i think and feel about the various films that i watch Um, I try to weave in my personal life and my personal experiences with the films. I'm interested in how films become part of our lives. So this podcast comes from a place of love and passion more so than critique or theory or academia or anything like that. I'm a passionate cinephile, but films are very personal and they're very emotional for me. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know what the title refers to, Her Head in Films, it comes from an email I sent a friend a few years ago. I was watching a lot of films at the time and I said, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. I think it's the perfect way to describe my relationship with film. I'm always thinking about it. A lot of these movies that I watch become part of my life and they've started to shape my identity in a lot of ways. This podcast does have a Patreon where you can financially support the podcast and help sustain it. I have a lot of dreams for this podcast, a lot of things I'd love to do with it. Um I don't have the resources right now. I'm working class, I'm poor, you know. Um it's basically a microphone and a Chromebook, but I'm doing my best to create a podcast that I hope has heart. This podcast may not be as sleek or it may not have the greatest audio quality or or whatever um but I hope that what it that it can make up for it with heart and with passion and I can't offer a lot to you but I just try to offer myself and my experience of these films so if you'd like to support it on Patreon, I would appreciate it. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash herheadandfilms. Lots of rewards and extras. At one level, you get a shout out on the podcast. So I just want to take a moment to do my shout outs to Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, Jesse, and Lindsay. Thank you all for being patrons. I really do appreciate it. As I said earlier, uh, this episode is about Maurice Piala's 1974 film, The Mouth Agape. I watched it last week. I watched it twice, actually, because it had such a profound effect on me. This is going to be a heavy episode because the film itself is very heavy. The basic synopsis of this film is that it's about a woman named Monique She's probably in her 40s, I would say. She's not too old. She is dying of cancer. And it's about how she's slowly dying of cancer and how her husband Roger and her son Philippe react to that. And it's 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 a somewhat short film. It's only an hour and 25 minutes. It's slim but it packs a punch and it's a dense film. It's dense with, there's a darkness there. There's emotion. There's, um, this is a film about death and about loss and about the disintegration of the body, how illness affects the body. And so, and it's about mortality, obviously. So it's about a lot of heavy things. And so, This episode, I'm just going to warn you up front, it's going to be pretty heavy. So, The Mouth Agape. Um, The title, I think, refers to the look on some of the faces of corpses, how sometimes the mouth is wide open. Um, It has autobiographical elements to it. Maurice P. L. A. If you don't know... um, i know him i know of maurice piola but i don't know how famous he is considered in the cinephile world or in just the film world in general the only other film i've seen by him is i knows i more which stars sandrine Bonaire. he actually had sandrine Bonaire in at least three films that i know of um and so he obviously really liked her. I think I think I know was one of her first acting films was one of her first roles that she did. She was very young, and it's about being a teenager and so he is a French film director he He did films in sort of a realist style in the form of realism. He actually wanted to be a painter and he didn't come to films until he was in his forties and um he, I think he's sort of considered a renegade, sort of a maverick. I don't know if he fits into the boxes really well. Um, but he made quite a few films. And he did win um, the Palme d'Or for his film Under the Son of Satan, which has Gerard Depardieu and Sandrine Bonaire in it. So he's he definitely won some important awards. He, uh, I think... Francois Truffaut co-produced one of his films, The Naked Childhood. yeah, And that won the Prix Jean Vigo. So he won some prestigious awards. I think he was considered an auteur, you know, a great director. I have not explored a lot of his work. But when I came to the mouth agape, I was just, and this is so cheesy to say, but my mouth was agape when I was watching this. It knocked me out. This film absolutely floored me in how powerful it was and how... uh, That's why I have to talk about it. Even though it's sort of a dark subject matter, I had to talk about this film. Um, An important part of this film is the cinematography, which was done by a really well-known, prestigious cinematographer named Nestor Almendrosz. And he worked with Terrence Malick on Days of Heaven. He, um, he worked with Francois Truffaut on several films, like The Last Metro with Catherine Deneuve. Um, he worked with Eric Rome on films like Claire's Knee and My Night at Malds. Um, he worked with uh, Alan J. Pecula for Sophie's Choice. I actually have an episode about Sophie's Choice if you want to listen to that. So he is this very important cinematographer. I love Days of Heaven, which is the film he did with Terrence Malick, and I would love to rewatch that and maybe do an episode an episode in the future. So, uh Al-Mandross is just this titan in the cinem- in cinematography, and it gives the film a very deep richness. The colors of this film are like blue, there's like a there's like a I don't even know how to describe it. It's like there's this blue tint to it. This blue and green tint to the film. And the colors are muted. They're kind of muddy at times. But they're rich. And they're deep. And um, I felt like the colors of the film sort of matched the, uh, the somber element to this film so on to the film itself i'm just going to talk about various themes and different scenes of the film uh, that really stay with me and um so this is a film as i say about a woman who is dying and how her son philippe and her husband roger react to that and the film starts off with her going to the doctor and her um her laying like i think she's getting an x-ray done or something and she's laying and having this test done and for i guess for them to diagnose her with the cancer that she has and It's an important scene because her lying on that table will become a motif, a visual motif throughout the film of her lying down. That much of her life, Monique, in this film will be horizontal. She will be in bed. She will be slowly dying. She is only given a few months to live. And there's a brutality about this film in that it is so, there's a starkness and a simplicity to it as well and it just sort of lays the truth out right in front of you that here is this woman she looks healthy she looks okay but she's not and within a few months she will be dead and there's no rhyme or reason to it and we see her slow fading the slow deterioration and decay of her body in this film and as I say, there's a brutality about that. And I think if you've ever seen someone you love dying or, or ill, um, it can be a very difficult thing to witness. And that's what this film really delves into. Her son is named Philippe, as I say, and he's only about 30 years old. And he goes to, he goes with her to that uh, appointment. And then later they come home and they're just sitting at the kitchen table talking. And this scene is really important because we get to the crux of her relationship with her husband, Roger. And she's talking to Philippe and she's telling Philippe to treat his wife better. Philippe is married to a, a woman named Natalie. It's actually one of the first roles for a French actress... I think she's French, named Natalie Bay, I think. And I think she's considered this really important actress in France. I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. Um, but he, she's telling Philippe to treat Natalie better and to not cheat on her. And this is really the crux of the film, the crux of the relationship between Monique and her husband Roger. Is that their entire marriage, Roger has cheated on her. He had a mistress from the beginning of the marriage, really. So they've been together like 34 years, but he has never been faithful to her, and that's a heartbreaking aspect of the film. This is a film, it's about death, but it's about family dysfunction and about how we're not always good to the people that we claim to love, and Roger is, is certainly fits the bill with that. He has philandered and he has never been faithful to her and even as she is dying he cannot be faithful to her and we see how philippe in many ways mirrors his father because there are several scenes in the film where he has sex with other women so he is cheating on his wife natalie just as roger cheated on monique for much of their marriage And I think it's very poignant that she has this discussion with Philippe and is trying to tell him, you know, treat your wife better. You know, be better to her. And he cannot do that. He just can't do it. Even though he sees the pain that his own father has inflicted on his mother, he is really doomed to repeat those same mistakes. And um, it's also a a moving scene because... Philippe puts on some opera music and they just sit at the table and listen to it. I thought this was a very sort of daring scene in many ways because it lasts for several minutes. There's no dialogue. It's just two people listening to some opera music. And I think this speaks to the way that Pia Law was sort of a renegade. That he did movies, it sounds to me like he did them how he wanted to do them. And This scene just stayed with me because I thought it was really beautiful that mother and son sitting at the table. This is the only time really in the film when she is able-bodied, when she is able to do things and not be in bed. And so that makes it all the more poignant, I think. and for several minutes, we just see them listening to opera music. And you can kind of tell on their faces how their music is affecting them. And um, of course, she tries to stand up, though, and she immediately falls. So we already see that she is she is dis- she's disintegrating and her body is failing. and so she ends up in the hospital for a little while and this is when she starts to be bedridden and from now on we will only see her in bed pretty much and so but there comes a point when the hospital says there's nothing more we can do for her and so they have to bring her home and so they take her to the bedroom and there's this beautiful wallpaper on it it's actually a really beautiful room in some ways but this will become her life this will become her world these four walls she is completely reduced to her body and she is trapped in this illness um that is her whole life and it reminded me uh when my grandmother um she was very ill for the last few years of her life and um she died in 2007 she died a year little over a year after my father died in 2006. And um, because my father died in 2006, that was a devastating experience. It's one that I've never recovered from. I talk about my father a lot on this podcast because it is so incredibly painful for me. I mean, just... The other night, I was just weeping and shrieking over it, Um, just thinking about him and about how he's gone and our life together is gone. And I'm an atheist, so I don't believe I'm ever going to see him again. And it's hard to face the truth that he is gone. And even though it's been 11 years now, for me, time doesn't matter time does not diminish anything he is still gone and he will always be gone and i'm not okay with that and it still is very excruciating and painful for me and um so my father died in 2006 and i'm always grappling with his death always i'm always grappling with loss and so that is why I am attracted to a film like The Mouth of Because it's about loss and it's about death. And I'm always grappling with those subjects. And um, so my grandmother was in bad health. And it's my maternal grandmother, my mother's mother. And I was not able to visit her as much as I probably should have and I do feel a regret about it. And I do feel guilty about it. At the same time, I try to forgive myself because I was 16 years old and my father had just died. And it was very hard for me to go to my grandmother's house and to see her in bed and to see her sort of fading away. And that was hard for me at that age. I had already been through such a trauma with my father's death. So I don't, I try not to be too hard on myself, you know, Um, but I do regret it and I do, I have a lot of regrets about it actually. And um, so seeing Monique in bed, it, it brought up a lot of that for me. It brought up my grandmother's slow sort of death in a way. But my mother did go down, she did go to my grandmother's house every day. Um, I don't know how she did it because she had just lost her husband and was widowed and then her mother was dying. And, um, I, I don't know how she did that actually. And, and I feel guilt that I wasn't there to support my mom more, you know, that I wasn't with her at my grandmother's house. And I just, yeah, now that I'm, saying it out loud. It's like, yeah, I feel a lot of guilt about it. And I feel like I sort of failed my mom. You know, I sort of failed my mom and my grandmother. Um, I don't think my mom would ever say that, you know, or I'm very, very close to my mother, profoundly close. And um, we have a really strong relationship. And I consider her my soulmate and the love of my life. So I don't think she saw it that way, but I think that sometimes you can't help but feel feel bad when you're not strong enough or when you can't do things that you probably should. And so as I speak now, maybe I see a bit of myself in Philippe and Roger. Even though Philippe and Roger are not necessarily that good to Monique. It's they. she's just in that room. You know, they feed her from time to time, but they're sort of out doing their thing. You know, Philippe is philandering around on his wife and then Roger's probably doing the same. We see some scenes where he's flirting with young women, but at the same time, are they doing some of that because they don't know how to cope with what's happening to Monique? And so, this film really shows human frailty, human fragility, human impotence and powerlessness, that here is someone you love dying, someone you love fading away, and there's nothing you can do. And so can I really judge Philippe and Roger for their reaction to Monique's dying, you know? um, Even though... I wouldn't put myself on the same level of what they did. Um especially Roger. I mean, your wife is dying and you are out flirting with young women. I mean, I find that pretty reprehensible, honestly. Um but how how do we cope with these things? What what do we do? And um and often we're not as strong as we think that we are. Like, oh, I would do this or I would do that. But when you're in the situation, you actually don't know what you would do. And sometimes your powerlessness overwhelms you. And so sometimes you are profoundly helpless, profoundly flawed. And you make a lot of mistakes. And you don't do as much as you should do. And I feel that. I, like deeply inside myself, when I think about my grandmother, um, I'm not sure I had confronted it to this extent until starting until talking about this this film. It's um, why I do this podcast. In many ways, I'm sort of working through a film in real time. I'm trying to figure out what I feel about it and why I think it's important. But what occurred to, I mean, when my grandmother was going through this, I often thought about how she was confined in her bedroom and how her life had become those four walls of that bedroom. And I wondered what that was like for her and how lonely she must have felt and how scared she must have felt and and terrified at what was happening to her. And how she had no power over it and no way to stop it. And that haunts me as well of my grandmother's experience um of going through that. And so when I see Monique, I I see that as well. For her, life has stopped. But for everybody else, Philippe, Roger, Natalie. The neighbors, there's a wedding in the neighborhood one day um, where they live in France. I think it's called Auvergne or Auvergne. For her, life has stopped. But for everybody else, life has gone on. There is this constant coexistence of life and death, of tragedy and beauty that you can be going through the worst day of your life. And other people are going through the best day of their life. You know, I always used to think about how the day my father died, there were people born. There were people born on that day in 2006. For them, that day was important. That day was the best day of their life. And for me, it was the worst, it was a catastrophe. And I remember when we were driving home, you know, after it had happened, and I I saw other people in cars, and I thought about how their lives would go on as normal. They would be who they had always been, but I was shattered, and my life was destroyed. My life was over, and that is life, the coexistence of these things that we cannot make sense of um it's just it's haunting in that way that that these two things coexist and um the film the film shows you that and it forces you to confront that in so many ways um this is like a harsh film in that way it's about death it's about how we let each other down it's about how powerless we are against death and against illness and against our own mortality and vulnerability Um, you know Roger is just this really difficult character to deal with I would say he is a raging racist you know they're in their little town in france it seems like a small town to me and it's interesting to note the autobiographical element of this film is that from what i read pia mother died in the same town where the film is set so possibly auvergne um, which is a place in france although he could have changed the name of the town i'm not sure so there are some autobiographical elements to it you know perhaps this was his experience of losing his mother we don't know but roger is just he's such a like scumbag in many ways he flirts with these women he's cheated on her the whole marriage and there's this very powerful scene where she's lying in bed and she can barely speak um but she she finds the breath and she finds the strength to confront him and she yells at him um, about him cheating on her and she says i can smell the wine on you she knows he's been with another woman and it is this heartbreaking scene where this woman is dying and she knows that her husband is still sleeping around on her that He cannot love her the way that she wants to be loved. And now that I'm thinking about this, this film is so much about heartbreak. This film is so much about how we long to be loved a certain way, but the people around us cannot love us the way we want to be loved. That's what she wants. She wants him to respect her and to love her. And all he can think about is drinking wine and and going out with women there is the fury of a lifetime in what she says. and what she struggles to get out of her mouth. It's just this ferocious moment of confrontation. And she had probably wanted to say that maybe their entire marriage. Um, the last 20 or so minutes of the film are, I would say... The most difficult to watch. Because in those 20 or so minutes. Monique is is truly dying. I mean for the last few months or so. She had been sort of clinging. And her health had been going downhill. But this is the moment. This is when um, she starts to have these very labored breaths. Where she breathes in and she breathes out breathes out and they're very slow and they're it's almost like this moaning and um this gasping and it's like her last gasps. It's like a death rattle, that's what I would call it. That's how it came off to me. And Philippe and Roger are in the house and they go in the room and it's um it's heartbreaking. It's like, what do you do? Um They are completely powerless as she slips away. And they have to confront it. They have to witness it. They bear witness to her death. Her dying is intimate. It is prolonged. Um, And there comes a point when she finally does take her last breath. And she's gone. And I think Roger says, C'est fini. It's over, and um I know a little bit of French. that's how I would translate that. Um, so the nurses come in they they strip the clothes off her like right there, and we see her nude and um it was interesting because throughout the film, the different women that Philippe and Roger um, had sex with we would often see them nude we would see the women changing clothes and we saw Natalie nude at times there was a lot of nudity in this film of the young women that the men were cheating with and I thought it was gratuitous at times and I sort of questioned it and I I probably still do there's obviously the element of the male gaze there and showing young you know objectifying young women and having to show their breasts and things like that um you often sort of see that in french film or you see that in more art house films at times um but when i thought about it with the last scene of monique being stripped after she dies it took on sort of a different meaning for me that and i struggled to put it into words but that nudity that is is, is a kind of rawness it is it is this shocking reminder that in death we are really just our bodies we are this carcass this carcass of meat really you know i guess i i know that's a harsh thing to say but when the body stops we stop and it's over if you're not religious and i'm not religious i believe that things begin and end with our bodies and so when the body is done everything else is done and so to see Monique stripped of her clothing, it was, it was a reminder of our mortality. And, um, and how we almost become dehumanized in death, that it becomes okay to just take our clothes off. And, and you think about the morgue or you think about funeral homes or, you know, the, the body is stripped probably and, and you no longer have control over your body do you i mean you are not there anymore and so the nudity for me was like a stark reminder of that that we are our bodies and that once they are gone we no longer have control over them and it's just this it's this terrible truth really and also this scene of her dying and they also put her in the coffin in the room where she died. These funeral customs or these funeral rites, I don't know if that's still the funeral rites in France. I, I don't know how dying and, and dealing with death happens in, in France or other cultures. But here in the United States it's something that's very hidden. It's something that um you're not you don't usually You're not usually in the room when somebody's dying. You don't usually see them stripped naked or put in a body bag. You usually don't see them put in a coffin. Here in the United States, death is very sanitized. And it's very hidden and almost secret in a way. We don't, we're so obsessed with youth, I think, in this country. We don't know how to look at death. We are a a country that is profoundly uncomfortable with death and I would say the humanity of dying has been stripped away in America, that we just let the funeral homes deal with it, and we don't want to be part of it, and we don't want to see it. It's sort of out of sight, out of mind, I guess you could say, and so this whole, this whole scene was very shocking to me, that, you know, they were in the room with her, and they saw her have her clothes taken off, and they saw her put into the coffin, and, you know, most people in the United States would want to be protected from that, and I myself was. I didn't, when my father died, or my grandmother died, I didn't see any of that, and, um, I didn't see my father put into a coffin or anything like that, you know, and so I don't know how I would handle that. I think it would be very shocking and difficult for me, and, um, so, we just have very different funeral and death rites here in the United States. It's much more sanitized, much more secret in many ways, and we don't want to have to bear witness to it. But in this film, Philippe and Roger do witness Monique's dying and then her burial and you know all all of all that that entails and um and we see them after the funeral, Philippe and Roger. They go to, like, some kind of, I guess, cafe or restaurant, and Roger is very emotional about it, which sort of surprised me, because, you know, he hasn't been maybe the greatest husband, obviously, to Monique, but he's very upset, he's very emotional, he talks about how sweet she was, how they were together 34 years and they never had an argument, and, um it It's very raw in terms of showing the grief, and I would say that the way the United States handles death and the way that it sort of um what is the word the way it the way we are separated from the death of our loved ones or with separated from the corpse separated from the body. I think it has an effect on the grief. And I think that we, wanna, we want death to be unseen. We don't want to face death or confront death. And I think that affects how we treat people who are grieving. And people who are dealing with grief. In that we want to put them away too. We see them as a problem. We see them as something that needs to go away. And that you shouldn't grieve very long. I mean, people think grief should be short and quick and you should just move on immediately and I'm living proof obviously that that's not the case that you know more than a decade later I'm still profoundly grief stricken and I think some people are for their whole lives but I wonder if in other cultures where they're better able to confront death and where they're actually in contact with the dead with the the body. I wonder if there's more of a sense of closure. I wonder if there's more of a sense of connection with the dead, possibly, or if you're involved in it. If you, if you see them, if you see the shroud put on them, if you see them put into the coffin, and I wonder if there's maybe a more a higher level of comfort with death, of of acceptance of death. Um, and I wonder if it changes the grief process or how people grieve. I don't know. These are just questions I'm thinking of. And this film, um, I mean, I don't talk about it a lot, but when my father died, I developed a very, um, debilitating fear of death. And it's something that I've lived with ever since because, my father died in 2006, my grandmother died in 2007, and my uncle died in 2009, my mother's brother. So she lost her husband, her mother, and her brother within three years. We went to three funerals. And all of this happened by the time I was 20 years old. So something happened to me um, that I couldn't undo. Something changed in me, and I became terrified of death, and I became terrified of who I was going to lose next, and I was poor, and I didn't have any access to any kind of grief counseling, any kind of therapy. I still have really bad depression and anxiety because of it, I had depression and anxiety a lot of my life, but it was exacerbated by the death of my father and the death of these other people. And that's something that I still struggle with and that I still don't have any way, any kind of access to treatment for. Um, when I was in college from 2010 to 2014, I went to some grief counseling. They offered free counseling to students. And so I was able to see someone when I was in college, but ever since I've graduated, I haven't had the money or any kind of ability um, to do that because I don't have health insurance. So this is something that is truly a part of my life on a daily basis is this fear of death. And as I say, it's been really debilitating. And so... um, it's always with me, and um, I wish it wasn't. I wish I could just be okay. <laughs> I would give anything to not feel the way that I do, but it is there, and it it really is terrifying for me um and so this film that's why I was attracted to this film too, because even though I'm scared of death i'm I'm compelled by books about it or stories about loss, stories about, um, about these things. I can't quite explain it really. Um, and I felt like this, this film showed death in a really raw way and in a really truthful way that it, it showed really the pitiless mundane horror of death, how we are all powerless against it. How we do so many things to avoid thinking about it, but we can't. You know, for some of us, it's there. Some of us, we can't avoid it. But I think a lot of people do things to just not think about it. You know, like how do we live knowing that this is going to happen to us one day? That none of us can prevent it. That none of us can avoid it. I mean, how do you really live with it? You just try not to think about it. But when somebody you love dies, you have to think about it. And when my father died, and I was 16, you know, up until that point, death had been theoretical. Death had been abstract. Death had been something I read about in books, or it it wasn't real. And when he died, it, it was real. Death was possible. And I could not go back. And I really feel that my youth was taken from me, that my innocence was lost, you know, other people at 16 are are dating and they're thinking about the colleges they're going to go to and they're out partying and they there is a level of carefreeness. I'm not saying being a teenager is easy in any way. There's obviously complexities there and everybody has their own experiences. But not a lot of teenagers are dealing with a parent dying. You know, it's it's heavy. It's difficult. And instead of me having those experiences, I didn't have a youth, you know, I didn't get to have a period where I was carefree. I was completely hurtled into um, this horror, this horror of my father dying. And I was never the same. And I've never recovered and it absolutely defines me it absolutely shattered me and i i grapple with the pain of it i grapple with the ruins of my life and how to restore my life i don't know i don't think i'm doing that i don't know how you know i write i watch films i try to have passions in life but the pain is always there you know the woundedness is always a part of me And I I wish I'd had more time before that revelation and that of learning that death was possible and that death was real. I I would give anything to not know it at 16. I mean, I had, I guess, a few good years of my life. (laughs) But ever since then, you know, it's just been hell. And so this film shows the horror of death. You know, it absolutely shows it and it doesn't try to avoid it. And it shows illness. It shows the breakdown of the body, the slow disintegration of the body, as we see with Monique's illness. And that's very difficult to watch. Um, In many ways, watching Monique is... You're watching what could happen to you or what could happen to somebody you love. And that's scary. I think that's terrifying in many ways. For for several months before she actually dies, she's really in this liminal state between life and death. She's in this liminal state of suffering and stasis, is what I like to call it. Because she's not really alive, but she's not really dead. She is just suspended between two worlds and and uh I can't imagine that, just like my grandmother was in many ways what does that what does it mean to go through that? um Of course, this film doesn't really tell us, does it? um, Monique is there like in flashes, really, it's like we mainly see Philippe and Roger doing things, and then once in a while we'll see. Monique in bed, you know, and it's like, what do you do? How do you show that? Because her life is in complete suspended animation. There is nothing to her life anymore, except laying in that bed and existing in those four walls. And um, the film doesn't really avoid the pain of that, you know, and I think it tries to show it for what it is. And um So it's just it's a brutal film, it really is, and I think I'll always be haunted by it and I think Monique is is what will haunt me, is Monique in that bed and Monique in breathing her last breaths and gasping and her death rattle and did she feel loved? You know, or did she feel alone? How did she feel? We don't know. You can never know, and I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what haunts me, and what haunts me too is Philippe and Roger's inability to to love the way that she needed to be loved, and I'm just reminded of how. of so many it's it's i think it's a reflection of so many dysfunctional families because i remember the stuff that happened when my dad died and when my grandmother was sick and it didn't bring people together it, you know i saw the worst in people i've talked about it in other episodes how my family just abandoned me and my mom and um we had nobody and and some even said some really cruel and and vile things to us and so And that includes neighbors and that includes friends and quotation marks. So when death happens, when illness happens, maybe in some families or in some places, it brings people together or it brings the best out in people. But I think some of us have had the experience that when death and illness come, we see what people are really capable of and we see how people really feel about us do they love us do they care about us are they going to be there for us can we rely on them can we depend on them is there love is there support and i think for some of us that doesn't come and we see that we were really alone the whole time that we never had anybody to begin with that we called these people family or we called these people friends but they weren't it, there was a hollowness there i mean at least with monique at least roger is there i mean at least he feeds her and and things like that but we also see his inability to be faithful to her and and um to love her in the way that she needed to be loved. And she was with him for 34 years. But what was really there? Was it a marriage? Was there love? And that's, you know, you don't know. Um, and you see how Philippe is in many ways making the same mistakes his father made. And cheating on his wife. and And what will happen with their marriage? Will their marriage last 30 some years or will it fall apart or will he ever be able to be faithful, you know, or, or to love a woman, um, that way, you know, and, and to, to be true to her, um, you can tell that there's a lot of heartbreak for Monique when it comes to Roger and what he's done and what he does as she's dying and a lot of disappointment. And this is about a film about how people disappoint us. And they they just sometimes they can't be there for us the way that we need them to be. Even in our most difficult, darkest moments when we need them the most and they can't be there. And it's sad that it's often not until a person dies that we realize how much we failed them. I failed my grandmother, didn't I, in some ways? I, I think I did. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to linger on it too much because it's done and it can't be changed, but I've, I've failed people. You know, I think I failed my father in some ways and just different people and So I'm not perfect. I've certainly made mistakes and and done things that I wish I hadn't or wish I had done more. And so it's often not until a person dies that we realize how we failed them and what more we could have done. And we feel the regrets and we appreciate them. And you just wish that people could come to those revelations before a person dies, you know, it's not until Monique dies that Roger says she was so sweet, you know, and, and he seems to be indicating that he did love her, he did care about her, but how much did he show that when she was alive, and why does it take losing someone for us to realize what they meant to us, and how important they were, and, um, you wish that people could realize that before a person is gone. When they could actually show it and, and make a difference. and so. But this film will haunt me because of its raw portrayal of death and loss and dying. The process of dying. The process of bearing witness to someone dying. And how difficult that is to deal with and how powerless one will feel. But in the at the end of the day, this really does show the the mundane horror of death that it happens every day. You know, people die every day, but it's different when it happens to you, and when it happens to someone you love. And I think a lot of films are afraid to show to show something like this in such a raw, stripped down, bare way. And um, Pia Law dared to do that, and. I think he told a story that is important and that is haunting, as I say. And I watched this film twice because I had to watch it again. Um, I, I just hadn't seen a film quite as raw and and um, stripped bare the way that this film was. And um, So I obviously think it's worth watching. And it definitely makes me want to watch more of Pia work. And to possibly explore more of his, you know, his films, and so I, I really feel like I've said everything I possibly can say about this film. Um, I definitely want to thank you for listening. I know this wasn't like an easy episode to listen to, but I had some things that I wanted to say and that I wanted to work through with the film, and so I do appreciate you listening. I'll stop here. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.